This is the Financial Freedom Series designed to show you how to cash flow your way to financial freedom. Brought to you by Lagos Financial. The road to financial freedom starts today. Welcome to the Financial Freedom Series. My name is Andrew Bean and I'm here with top mortgage broker and financial expert, Victor Lagos, founder of Lagos Financial. How are you, mate? Good, Andrew, mate. How are you? I'm fantastic, buddy. Mate, we had such an awesome response from the first episode. I actually got a response from a listener saying that us talking about saving got them excited about saving again. So big win, big tick in that box. It's good to hear. Not many people get excited about savings. So. That's it. It's hard to get excited about savings, but I guess when you can see your like financial future, it makes it more exciting. Yeah, and just the little wins that you get along the way, right? Yeah, that's it. All right, mate. So today in this episode, we're going to be talking about how you prepare yourself to get a loan as in the documentation that you need because getting all the documents for a loan can be very, very daunting and a big pain in the ass. So, mate, it's an almighty task for the process of getting a loan. Can you just share with us like the information that you usually require or you usually request from your clients? Yeah, look, uh, it's always a daunting thing. It's probably one of the hardest things for a customer to do is to get all their documents in order and then send them all to the broker to get the loan application going. There are tools now that I've got access to that make it a little bit easier. Yep. But if you just think about in order to apply for a loan, the bank needs to know who you are. So first and foremost, they're going to have to see your 100 points of ID, yep. driver's license, passport. And if it is expired, you'll need to get probably a Medicare as well or even a birth certificate. If you've been married or change of name and you haven't swapped that over, you need to provide a marriage certificate as well. So there's that part. And then the next one is understanding your income. The bank obviously wants to understand how much you're earning. If you're PAYG... A payslip should be enough or usually two most recent payslips. And depending on when you started the job, you might need to also provide an employment contract to show that that income that, you, that you're receiving is in line with how much your base salary is. So for example, if you just started in, say, March and we're now in April, well, one payslip is going to look a bit funny if you say you started like last year, right? Yep. So they want to actually see that it matches up based on your start date. So that's why you might need an employment contract. And then if you're earning bonuses, or commissions, then we're going to have to provide evidence of like the year before. So like an income tax ready statement or a PAYG summary that you can download from the ATO portal. So then that's if you're PAYG. So this is, this is a long list, right? Um, <laughs> it's but, <a> still, <laughs> but more in detail. So say you're self-employed. If you're a sole trader, you're going to need just your individual tax return. And a lot of people get this wrong. They download it from the ATO portal. They just get like, you know, five pages they can download from there. Or sometimes people think it's the notice of assessment. But mm. that's, you have to provide the notice of assessment as well as your individual tax return. And the individual tax return can be like 10 pages. And that's per borrower, right? So if it's two of you that you need both of them for the last two financial years. So FY22 and FY21. So that's four tax returns you need to provide in four notice of assessments. If you have a company or a trust, then you also need to provide the last two years of company tax returns or trust tax returns. And then there's also financial statements. There's a profit and loss statement or and a balance sheet. So then you need to get that for the last two years. So that's the income part. And then we want to obviously look at your liabilities. So then if you've got multiple properties, 
to imagine there's a lot of uh, statements and that you need to provide. And usually a bank will want to see if they're going to refinance the debt, they're going to want to see the last six months work. And when I mentioned earlier that there's tools that you can use, well, that's usually to retrieve bank statements. Because say you've got five properties and you've gone across to five different banks. You now need to get the last six months, if you're going to refinance them, you need the last six months of transaction history, statements that shows the balance, interest rate, the repayments for all of them. And depending on where you are in the year, they may not have produced that statement yet. So then you actually have to download a transaction history that covers the period between, say, now backwards six months. So we're in April, so you might get a statement until December 2022. What about the last four months? We need that too. So then some people just download a a CSV or a spreadsheet on the transaction and say, can I use this? I'm like, well, if you can change it, then no, because obviously the bank wants to make sure that your payments are on time. And if you can change the spreadsheet and say, look, I made the payment on time. Well, they're going to want to see a PDF, an uneditable version. So it's sometimes a bit tricky to navigate when there's multiple banks. There is a tool I use. It's called bankstatements.com.au where you basically just enter your bank credentials and you just select the bank that you're with. It's usually available for most banks. Some credit unions aren't included. And you just say, select, yep. It's bank encrypted, so it doesn't get stored anywhere and it just gets sent to me. I have a subscription model for that. So yeah, that covers that. You want me to keep going? Keep going. I want to hear all of it. This is why it's such a pain in the ass. Keep going. Okay. Generally speaking here, so if you're buying something, you're also going to need to provide evidence of a deposit. Where's that coming from? Have you saved it up? Have you got it in multiple accounts? Have you got some shares that you're going to liquidate? Or are you getting gifts from family? So if you're getting the bank of mom and dad coming in, then they're going to have to write up a declaration or a letter that says they're gifting you those funds and they're non-refundable. If you're going to borrow the money, because it does happen, sometimes people will lend you the money, then it needs to stipulate what those terms are. So if if, you're making repayments over a three-year period or a five-year, whatever it is, it needs to say that. Because then that commitment or that monthly repayment needs to be put into the serviceability calculator. And... Also there, because if you're borrowing it, they're going to look at you as 100% financed so they don't you don't have any skin in the game and it won't look good to them, right? Yeah. To be honest with you, they don't care too much about not having skin in the game as long as you can come up with the cash. So that's why people can take money from equity, right? Use that as a deposit. Yeah. So technically, that's not your skin. It's your equity, right? But it's a coming from a property that you bought maybe a lot less than what you're valuing it for now. So then in that instance, you would provide a statement, even a loan approval. So I've got deals approved where I provide the conditional or formal loan approval from another bank to say X amount is extra or it's equity we're going to use as a deposit. So we provide that. And then if it gets a little bit more, say it's commercially orientated, they're going to want to see a copy of the lease and it's usually they want to see it registered as well. They're going to want to see the trust deed. So if you bought it in an SPV, which is known as a special purpose vehicle or a trust or a company to own the property, they're going to want to see the trust deed and usually want that to be certified by a JP as well. And then on top of that, they want to see the last 12 months of a integrated client account. So this is something that your accountant can actually download from their ATO portal that they use and an integrated tax account as well, which shows that you're up to date with your taxes. And then, of course, we talked about in the first episode about your transactional account. So occasionally, you will have to provide evidence from your main transactional account. This is where your pay goes to. This is where you spend your money from. But it's not always required. 
I personally try and avoid it if I can because I don't want to spend so much time highlighting every single expense over the last three to six months and then questioning you, is this an ongoing expense or was it a one-off? It's just, it's very time consuming and banks don't want to do it either, to be honest. So less is more sometimes. Okay, so that obviously, that big monster shopping list that you just gave us there, that was like worst case scenario if you're PYIG and also got your own business or something like that. Like it's like, that's not the usual. What's an average client need? Like usually it's just if they're a PYIG worker, they've got a deposit. What's the bare minimum that you would usually get from them? PYIG, two most recent payslips. Yep. Bank statement, last three months showing how much they've got available for the deposit and ID. That's it. So, but you'll have them fill out some kind of a fact find as well though with their expenses and things like that, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So, we're just talking about supporting documents. So, the fact find is I have an electronic portal that I use. So, rather than customers printing out a PDF and then filling it out by hand or, or needing, you know, Adobe Professional to edit it on the computer, it's an online secure portal. So, they get a unique code. They get to log in, fill out on their own time, and then that's where they complete their expenses and you know their address history, their employment history, their assets, their liabilities. A lot of liability stuff I can fill out for them based on the statements that they give me. But of course, I'm not going to know all their assets, like how much super do they have, how much savings, unless they give me the statement. Car values and things like that. Property values I can get. I can obviously order valuations and find out what the estimated value is. But that's a good way of doing it. They fill it out all on the portal, and then at the end, they upload the documents customized to them. So I mentioned in a big list based on if someone's self-employed or if there's a trust. But if they're PAYG, I'm not going to ask for that stuff. If they are self-employed, I want to know what are the companies that they trade under and I'm going to ask for you know the financial statements for each of those entities. Yeah, because it's like... It's actually quite daunting trying to get finance sometimes, especially if you're not doing it through a mortgage broker because you do a lot of the legwork for people as well, your customers. So like you'll get a shopping list from the bank or whoever it is and then they're like, oh, we also need this, this, this and this. And like it's happened to me a few times. You're like, geez, I don't think I have any more documents to give you. I've just, you've got everything. There's absolutely no way. But they're like, oh, no, we need you to do a 12-month forecast for the first year's cash flow on this thing. And like, oh, my God, um, yeah. this is getting ridiculous. That was for a business loan. So Yeah, I was going to say forecasting is usually if, uh, if you're doing commercial loan, yeah, which can be beneficial. I did one recently for a customer that was buying a farm. Oh, okay. And uh, he didn't have enough income to service the debt. It's vacant land, right? But he put together a cash flow forecast of buying cattle, whatever the costs are to feed the cattle and and whatnot. And then the bank used that income to service the future debt and he got the loan. So you can't do that in residential. They won't go off projected income. Yeah, that's right. I mean, realistically though, like a forecast is just a forecast. It's never correct. There's no way you can just forecast out how much you're going to, like especially if it's like a service business or like a business where there's some kind of churn, like to be able to predict the churn, unless you already have a current site operating that you can use as a model if you're going straight into it from you know not knowing anything about like the actual acquisition of the customer how much is that going to cost it's really hard to do a proper forecast like the banks come back to me and like oh you this is this this is what about this i'm like well i feel like saying like look it's just a forecast like there's absolutely no way it'll be like this like this is just what i think it will be but it's absolutely no way it will be like this and i hope the bank doesn't hear this (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing like you're asking them to fork out money right to help you to buy something so 
the more accurate you can be and the more detailed you can be, the more it looks like you know what you're talking about. If it's very generic and basic and you're asking to do a business venture that you don't have experience doing, it's very unlikely they're going to lend you that money. If you've got history doing something similar or you're partner with someone that has and they can plug in numbers that are relatively realistic compared to a similar business that have operated in the past, then yeah, you're more likely to get it approved. You've got to remember that banks have specialists in certain industries. So they know how to benchmark. They know what to compare it to. So if you're mm. saying your expenses are going to be X amount, your margins are going to be X amount, and they, they have all these other customers on their books that don't have those margins and have much higher expenses, well, who's the one calling the shots there? <laughs> yeah, well, it just seems that not many banks understand self-storage. So that's where I'm coming from. There's not enough exposure to that industry. They just don't understand it well. So if they don't understand something, they run away from it. It is difficult to get financing on self-storage. Definitely. Yeah, so. yeah, for that exact reason. And you've got multiple leases as well. Like you said, yeah, you've got dynamic, month leases, yeah. dynamic pricing. Yeah, right? it's, it's difficult to really understand because you're going to be trying to push the rates as hard as possible, but then you might go too far and then you have to dial it back a bit. Like it's a very, very dynamic cash flow, as you just said. Like an airline, prices are all different on seats on the plane. It is hard to predict cash flow if you really want to be to the dollar. That's what I said. Like a forecast, I can forecast anything you want. I can sort of my heart, this is what I think it'll be, but I'm pretty much guaranteeing you it won't be. Yeah. Well, it all comes down to the risk that you're taking on and what risk are you passing over to the bank? Yeah. Because if you don't get that rent that you think you're going to receive based on your projections or your forecast, then how are you going to cover the repayment? Right? That's the thing you got to you got to consider. And if you've got enough surplus coming out from your other income streams, well, that's also a mitigant so you can provide to the bank and say, well, that can service the debt if the rent doesn't meet that estimate. Yeah, 100%. It's no secret that getting finance for a commercial property can be a difficult task. If you're looking for a rockstar mortgage broker to kickstart your financial freedom, well, look no further. My man, Victor Lagos from Lagos Financial has you covered for all of your commercial financing needs. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S financial.com.au for a free consultation to get you on the path to financial freedom today. So in terms of like using your service, mate, I just wanted to kind of understand when would you say was the best time to engage you? Is it when we already have a property that we've already had an offer accepted or can you help us with understanding our actual capacity, what we can borrow? When should we engage you prior or after a contract is signed or accepted? Sooner the better. So if you've got an interest in buying a commercial property and even a residential, but say it's commercial for because of your listeners, it's not as easy to work out your borrowing capacity compared to residential property because of the rent that you're going to receive, what sort of yields are you going to put in there, the terms of the lease, and where's the deposit coming from? Nine times out of ten, people don't have access to the cash. They want to actually refinance or extract the equity from their residential portfolio. So then you need to work out, well, I need to work out for them, what's that going to look like? What's the interest rate going to look like? How much equity can they actually tap into? And where's the rest of the money coming from? If that's all the money they can get, then it's not just an exercise of borrowing capacity. 
It's also who's going to give you the highest valuation on your properties to get you the most equity, which will then translate into a larger contribution and then translate to a potentially a larger purchase price. So then I put all those numbers in. I put it into commercial property, serviceability calculator, residential for the equity, all the valuations. And then I send out basically a funding worksheet, which shows the maximum price they can buy up to, all the costs involved, and what's the loan amount. And then I even put an estimated ROI, right? assuming, say, a 6% net yield, which is somewhat conservative. And I even put in you know, a buyer's agent fee and they, if they want to use a commercial buyer's agent as well. So there's no surprises, right? With residential, you know, you can get a loan with no fees and bank covers the valuation. All you pay is basically title registration fees. Whereas commercial, you know, you have to pay for the valuation up front, right? You definitely want to do a building report. There's lender application fees or establishment fees, and that ranges. You know, and then, of course, I mentioned the buyer's agent. So all these costs you wouldn't have or think about. So that's where I come in and I work out the numbers. And then based on that, you can start working toward finding the right property. You know, there's no pre-approval as such because it really comes down to the property. Right? We might put an estimate for, say, a 6% net yield and then you go and find something that's only 5%, but you really like it. All of a sudden, that pre-approval, if we had one, doesn't count anymore. So we need to rerun the numbers. Yep. And then the equity, because the rates are moving, we need to sort of look at what are the interest rates on that day and then obviously let's look at it in the next few months and then redo the numbers. But the good thing about commercial property is you can usually put a, a clause in your contract that says it's subject to finance approval. Mm-hmm. Right? Give you a finance clause as well as a due diligence clause. So it gives you time to actually get out of the contract if you need to. Residential, you know, people, they waive the cooling off period and then they end up committing to a, a contract and they're running around trying to get the finance. With commercial, that's a high risk game. You don't want to do that. Yeah, that's right. So if you guys haven't checked out Victor's website, he does have a really, really awesome suite of calculators that he's talking about. And I think you'd probably use your own more uh, more detailed calculators as well. But you have a, a really cool section in your website where you can play with all the numbers and lots of different calculators to see your serviceability and things like that. Yeah, it's definitely helpful, especially for stamp duty because different states have got different stamp duty. Yeah. And for commercial property, and you correct me if I'm wrong, South Australia and Canberra, there's no stamp duty. Zero stamp duty. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's only commercial, not residential. So yeah, that's right. Of course, if you're going to buy there and you're very hell-bent on buying these areas, then we can run the numbers there if you don't have as much cash. Yeah. And I don't know if people actively know this, but if you do engage Victor early on in your game, like mortgage brokers don't charge anything until they actually get you a loan. So I'm not trying to say go and get Victor to do stuff for free, but he will do it for free until he gets you a loan. <laughs> Basically. It can be a bit of work, of course. Of course. Uh, it's so a lot it's of important. Work, yeah. yeah, it's important to work with the right people. So if the numbers stack up and you know we, we gel well together, you know, that we you know we're the right fit, then it's just a matter of staying in contact and when the time is right and it's time to actually buy the right property, yes, I'll get paid when the loan settles, usually a month after. So from initial conversation and running numbers, for me, payday may not be for you know six months. Yeah, it's a long time to wait. So are you selective with your clients? There's a selection process here I'm hearing. Well, it all comes down to if you qualify or not. So I try to help anyone I speak to. 
and I'll be frank with with my customers or potential customers that if they don't service the debt or if their idea of what's possible versus what actually is possible is the big disparity, I'll send them the numbers of what is. And if it's not, I'll just tell them, look, you're not in a position to buy property right now. You need more income or you need a larger deposit. And I'll you know, show them if you were to achieve your goal, which is to say buy an $800,000 commercial property, this is what you'll need. Yeah, so then you know, when it comes to saving and putting money aside or selling residential property first, at least they have a game plan, right? What they need to do to achieve that particular goal. But I won't just send someone away because you know, they're not earning enough or whatnot. Yeah, fair enough. And I think one of the best things about going through a mortgage broker too is not only that it doesn't cost you any money straight away, but they really are a guiding hand for you and they do a lot of the legwork. Like your fact find, you transfer all that information into the bank's application forms. You don't give it back to the client to do that themselves. Yeah, exactly. So they fill out their part. You know, I work with those data points and then that maps across into another platform which then allows me to go to multiple banks. So we might go to one, but for whatever reason that bank doesn't want to approve the loan, I can easily clone it or duplicate that same data and then get another lender application form. So you don't have to constantly provide the same data over and over. For commercial stuff, it depends on the lender. Some don't have the online portal stuff set up, so it's still a manual application. But I try to fill that out for my customers. You know, My support team will will do that. They'll get data from the fact find, put it onto the application form correctly and send it out to the customer to sign. And I usually try to get it signed by e-sign if possible as well. Commercial, sometimes it has to be printed, wet signature, but where I can get it signed electronically, it saves everyone a lot of time. Yeah. So realistically, if you don't want to be as hand-on, it's a no-brainer to actually go through a mortgage broker because one, it doesn't cost you anything. And two, they make it easier for you. Three, they actually give you a helping hand assessing you and making sure that you are qualified to do what you want to do. So there's really no reason to like go straight to the bank because if you're going straight to the bank, you're just anyone walking through the door and you're getting the basic product that everyone can get. But mortgage brokers like Victor have access to the best lending products that you might not know about. He has access to different things that are potentially not available to the walk-in customers. And he can go to any single bank, not just the one bank that you've been banking with for like, you know, the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. I think more and more people are realizing the value that a broker can bring. Heaps of value. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. Like if I, every time I've gotten a loan, I've gone through a mortgage broker, even before I was a mortgage broker. Actually, that's a lie. I did do it directly once because I worked at the <laughs> bank and I, get, I got staff pricing. Different story. But the main reason is, you're right, you're having access to multiple lenders and specifically they're changing policies. So banks are always changing their policies. Like every day, there's some email coming out. We've come up with a new self-employed policy or now we don't need this much documents. Now we need more documents. We've got a special on this interest rate or you know, we're waiving fees here and it's always changing. So every customer has got a unique situation it's about understanding their situation and what they're trying to achieve and then selecting you know the top three lenders that fit that objective if they're going into one bank by themselves and they share their entire financial position that bank can only present options that that bank offers right just maybe two products right interest only or principal and interest basically interest rates policy how much they can borrow 
it's all limited to whatever that one bank can offer. So if you go and shop that around and you go to multiple banks yourself, you're doing all the labor work that I would do usually as a broker. But a lot of the time, you don't know this, but the bank will actually put an application forward before they give you some sort of indicative pricing. So they're not going to give you an interest rate and fees until they've actually got you to somewhat commit. And then what happens is you're actually putting an imprint on your credit file. Mm. And if you do that a few times in a short amount of time, your credit score goes down and now it gets harder to get finance approved. You know, that happened to a client recently. He didn't actually realize that his missus had actually been applying for a few different loans and uh, his cred- <laughs> their credit score went down. And we weren't able to get the finance, unfortunately. But we're going to have to wait. Credit scores improve over time. So we're just going to have to wait a few months and go again. Yeah, fair enough. So, mate, how long are you giving the clients to actually get lending? Like, what are you saying to them? Okay, on day one, we've got this. How long do you think this like a lending process takes these days? So we talked about how much documents you have to gather. My advice would be to start getting all that documents compiled in a folder, like a Dropbox or a Google Drive, so that when you are ready to apply, you know, it's very easy, drag and drop. That's probably the slowest process, I'd say. Banks, depending if it's residential or commercial, if it's a big bank, smaller lender, second tier, et cetera, they all have different turnaround times. Document requirements are fairly similar. But let's just say you have all your documents lined up, your ducks are in a row, you provide them to me, you fill out your fact fine. I submit that to a bank or a lender. If it's residential, I can get approval within 24 to 48 hours with one bank. If it's a bank that's offering a really hot rate, cashback incentives for refinance, et cetera, you might wait two weeks before you get you hear back. If it's residential, we can do automated valuations to save time, depending on how, how much that property is worth. So you don't even need to send a value out to inspect. But if it's commercial, that's another game. There's more documents you need to come up with. There's probably a bit more to and fro as well, because of, there's another banker involved asking questions. It's not just straight to the bank or to the credit team. And valuations, they take a long time for commercial valuations. They're, they're more expensive, they're more in-depth, they're long form. And depending where the property is located and how busy the market is and the valuers are, they can take from anywhere from five days to you know a month before a valuation is complete. So how long do you total do you say to your clients? Again, it depends. So I usually would say from start to finish, six weeks. Well, it's still pretty quick. I mean, realistically, yeah. to get finance in six weeks... I would say that's actually like pretty good. It does take a long time when you need all these documents and then because each document they request, it could take you a couple of days to get back to them. So then there's a week gone pretty much and it just yeah. rolls on and rolls on. It's uh, it's a really big pain in the ass. Yeah, it can delay when you have to ask for more and more documents. I really try my best to get everything up front and make it easier for the bank to approve the loan. Because I, I said to you earlier, I used to work at, at Macquarie Bank and I worked in credit. So that meant that I was approving the loans. So I knew what to look for. And I know from experience that it's not the best when you have to go back to a broker and say, hey, you missed this, you missed that, you missed that. You didn't do this properly. You didn't tick that box. You know, you forgot this form, et cetera. That creates lag, right? Mm. Not just for the, obviously the customers taking, it's long for them. Broker's not getting a great experience. And for me, when I was in credit, I don't really like that broker as much anymore, right? Because they've just made my job harder. But a broker that sends me everything that I need up front, ticks all the right boxes, provides all the forms, and just lets me go tick, 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 approve, next, I'm happy. 
because that's what a credit person looks for. They don't get emotionally involved in the deal. They can't, right? They don't mm. look at the customer and say, oh, they're buying their dream home or they're buying, you know, a property that's going to create financial freedom for them. No, they just look at, do all the documents provided that we ask for that we need? Are there comments to cover off certain things that are red flags? Are there any special approvals that we've got from someone higher credit? All of that. So I try to cover all that off so that way by the time they pick it up, they can just say tick, 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 approve. And then it goes to the next person who sits you know, in the bank. There's a settlement person or a document preparation person. So a whole team that does that, right? Sends them out, customer to sign, then we start processing the, um, the settlement, right? So then when I said six weeks, that can be end-to-end. That's settlement, right? That's when money's exchanged and you own the property. If you're buying something in Queensland, usually it's like a 30-day settlement. So we want to get that approval as quickly as possible so you can meet the deadline for settlement. If you have ever tried to run numbers in your cash flow calculator, you'll know how important it is to have the right inputs. Stamp duty alone can vary wildly depending on what state you are buying in. That's why you need to know the exact figure. Lagos Financial have a full suite of calculators ready for you to start crunching your numbers today. Go check out your borrowing power, budgeting, income tax, refinance calculators, repayment calculators, or my personal favorite, the stamp duty calculator, just to name a few. Go to lagosfinancial.com.au. That's L-A-G-O-S financial.com.au to start using these calculators today. Are you seeing a lot of contracts get pushed out now? I've been speaking to the banks a few times on a few different deals and they've been telling me that it's actually the valuation that they're having problems with where the valuers will say they can do it on this date and then they can't get to the site. And sometimes it's even like four weeks until they can actually get to the site to even start the valuation. And then obviously a valuation on a commercial property, a self-storage facility, like it takes a long time, especially a self-storage facility. So there could be another week and a half of just the reporting on it. So you're looking at like a, already a five and a half week process just to get a valuation back to the bank so they can even look at the file. Yeah, it depends on the complexity of the property. And you're right, self-storage isn't a simple one. It's going to take the valuer much longer to prepare the report, mm. do the research to actually come up with a figure and provide all the data they need to in the actual report itself. So getting access to the property is one thing and then doing the report is another. So I, I am seeing that more and more we're having to ask for finance clause extensions yeah, for that okay. exact reason. You know, the, Usually if you go through, like if you're communicating with a selling agent well and you're transparent, they know you're getting finance, it's not a surprise to them. They're well aware that that's what's happening in the market. So they then need to communicate that to the vendor to get the okay to extend it. But there are some sellers that aren't going to want to keep extending it. And that happens. Where are we at? What are our options? Do we go to another valuer that's got a faster turnaround time that's going to charge more so you win the property? Because I always get quotes, like three or four quotes with turnaround times and cost. Sometimes the cheaper it is, the longer it takes. Yeah, more expensive, they get out there faster. But then you got to navigate that. And then if we can't get finance extensions and that particular lender is taking a while because they've got the sharpest rates and the best loan terms, then we might have to go to a non-bank lender or a private lender and you pay for that. But if this means 
you get to buy the property or it means that you're protecting yourself from not losing the deposit, you, sometimes you have to take what the best option is at the time. Yeah, I totally agree. Sometimes it's better just to get the deal done and then you can always refinance later, especially with residential. They're very, very particular on trying to get the best interest rate and that will basically determine whether or not they go forward with the loan or not. Whereas like realistically, if you're looking at it like a 30-year like life cycle of the property, the interest rate right now probably doesn't matter just to get the deal over the line. And then, you know, in two, three years, you can reduce the interest rate to whatever you want to or wherever you can get a better interest rate. But the most important thing is getting the deal over the line. Yeah, I totally agree. If it's such a good deal that you're buying below market and you're winning that property because you can settle quickly or get the loan approved quickly, then rate shouldn't be what you focus on. Yeah, because it's only a very, very small piece of the puzzle because it's just for like one or two or three years. But if you're looking at like a lifetime of a property where the like capital growth of a residential property could be double, even triple, the math doesn't work out. You're looking at like losing like probably like $10,000 or losing maybe potentially half a million dollars in inequity, like over a 30-year lifespan. Yeah, exactly right. I can give you an example where I was in a position where... You know, this is when I bought a property in 2021. And I, I don't advise this to many people. Actually, I, I rarely talk about this just because it's 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 a risky game when you borrow money for a deposit. Yep. But I'll tell you how it worked basically. It's a personal loan, right? And they call it gap finance. Yep. And you know, I had a good savings pattern. I was putting away like $1,000 a week, every week saving. And I wanted to buy a property. My wife and I wanted to buy this property. We could have waited six months. And we would have had an extra 40 grand, which we needed. But we saw we wanted to get in at that point. So we got a $40,000 personal loan approved. Mm-hmm. We were still in LMI. So we, we had to obviously borrow lender's mortgage insurance as well. So we're already maxed out. But if we had waited, then we wouldn't have bought that property at the price that we did. And we wouldn't have been able to fix our interest rate. Because at the time, we got an interest rate for 2.59% yep. fixed. So if we waited six months... We wouldn't have got that right. We wouldn't have got that property. We would have been priced out for that particular area. And all we really did was get the loan and then pay it off over six months anyway. So the amount of interest we paid for that six months on that personal loan was was nothing. It was like a couple of grand. Yeah, but the opportunity cost of not doing that would have been huge. Exactly. Sometimes people get so caught up like, oh, I don't want to pay you know, high interest rate on a personal loan. Yeah. Or I don't want to pay mortgage insurance. Yeah, that property's gone up 150 grand. Yeah. Right? And the rent's been paying off the, the loan. Yeah. So it's like, imagine I talk myself out of it. It's almost like bragging rights or like a badge of honor saying, oh, I got this rate, you know, I, I got this interest rate. Like it was really, really low. And that's what they brag about to their friends at that um, barbecue. But they'd never <laughs> say, oh, well, I've got it. And in 30 years, I'm going to have half a million dollars of equity in it just because I, you know, sacrificed today. So you can pay any price today so you can pay any price tomorrow, like in the future. Exactly right. You've got to think about, like you said, the opportunity cost. If you get in now or if you don't get in at all or you focus too much on the price and you stop actually, when I say price, I mean the interest rate without actually you know, making a move for your future. Yeah, that's it. So, mate, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is around the finance clause. So, we kind of touched on the settlement, how long the settlement has is been taking. What would your recommendation be for the days that you would request a finance clause in your commercial contract? Yeah, it's a good question. It depends on the vendor and I guess the demand for that particular property. 
and how flexible they are. Yep. So usually you'd go in at least 14 days, mm-hmm. like minimum. And even that's hard to meet, to be honest. Usually you'd ask for an extension. But just so it looks more appealing to the vendor, if you can get it, get away with a 21-day, even better because that gives you more time to get the valuation done and get the loan approved. Again, you might end up extending it anyway. So it really just comes down to what are they willing to accept as part of the deal? And if they can take 21 days, better. If 14 is what it needs to be for you to win the deal, go in with 14 and then we can just ask for extensions if we have to. But it just means we might have to go to work and try to really push to get a fast approval. Yeah, fair enough. Because everything in a commercial contract is negotiable. So you can try and push the envelope. Yeah, exactly. And the reality is if you're competing with a cash buyer, then it doesn't matter if it's 14 days yeah. or 21 days, you're going to lose out anyway, Yeah. right? Depending on the price. So I agree with you. Yeah, that's it. So mate, with um, in terms of your service as well, if we bring a property to you and you're doing all your cash flow and assessment and stuff, do you give advice on the deal, like the returns or where they need to be or the actual asset itself? So I try not to mix up what I do when it comes to, I focus on the finance. Like yeah. That's what I'm here for. I don't give advice on if that's a good investment, if that's the right area you should buy, if that's the right return that you should get. Yep. All I'll do is just plug the numbers in and say, if the rent is X amount, it's going to allow you to buy up to X amount price initially. But then when they present a deal to me, they're going to tell me that this is the exact address, this is the lease, this is the tenant, this is how much you know, the rent is and who covers the outgoings, etc. I'll put the same numbers in to the calculator, to the funding worksheet to say how much are you going to contribute and what's the cash flow going to look like. So this is what I like about commercial property because you know that the outgoings, what they are and who covers them. Yep. So you, you can know what your cash flow position is up front even before you buy a property. Whereas residential, you're guessing, mm. right? You can estimate what the insurances are, what the agent fees are going to be, council rates, et cetera, but it's never exact. And maintenance always seems to pop up when you buy a residential property, right? Something's got to be fixed. Yeah, uh, that's it. And so, whereas with commercial, you know that up front. So then if you know what your cash flow position is going to be, that's how you make the informed decision. Do I want to actually buy this property? Because this is what it's going to cost me per week or this is how much it's going to earn me per week. And then if we're at a point where they're going to sign a contract or they're going to put an offer in to sign the contract, I will go to the bank that I've been presenting the that interest rate and those repayments on and I'll, I'll make sure that that property is actually acceptable as security. Sometimes you don't know that the actual location is not the best one yep. or they're overexposed to that area or whatnot. So then I just make sure that they're okay with the property, they're okay with the tenant, and that the offer still stands. If you're going to a big bank, they usually have to give an indicative offer. Like it's not just a, a what's called a carded rate, which is an advertised interest rate. They actually have to get a pricing approval from a specific area like treasury or whatnot. And I want to make sure that that's still valid. Right? So if that time has passed, another month, two months has passed, that rate could have changed a lot. That's going to affect the cash flow. Right? That's going to affect potentially the purchase price depending how how reliant we are on the rent to cover the actual interest. So then I go back to them and say, yep, property is acceptable. This is what the numbers look like now. This is what the potential cash flow looks like now. It's up to you now. Do you want to put the offer in? If they do, we get contract to sale. We turn it into an application from there, order valuations and whatnot. 
All right, so I guess now that you've listened to all of this, you guys know how difficult it is and how many documents and all the crazy things that you need to get some finance. So going to Victor and getting him to do it is a no-brainer, and plus it doesn't cost you any money right up front. So actually at all, does it? Because the banks pay you. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So there is an opportunity where I can charge, but it all depends on the complexity and the time frame. Because the bank's obviously going to pay me a commission eventually. But if there's a lot of you know legwork that needs to be done up front, and I know that customer's not going to do anything for the next 12 months, well, I've got to be conscious of the time, right? Yeah. So what I can potentially do is charge a mandate fee, which is basically to work on, on the deal. And then in the future, when I get paid a commission, they get reimbursed that. It's also skin in the game as well. Yeah, it's like a retainer. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. All right, guys. So if you do want to find out what documents you will need or you will require to get lending, then we can suggest that you just give uh, Victor a call, email or contact form on his website and he actually will put together a custom list for you based on your situation. So you won't be trawling through a, a massive list of documents that you basically don't always need to send. Victor will just customize that list, right, Victor? Yeah, exactly. And at least it's preparation for you. So you can start gathering everything. And then when you are ready to apply, you know exactly what to send because you've got it all put aside and it just expedites the process for you. All right, mate. Well, fantastic. Well, let's wrap it up there. Where can the listeners go to find out more about you and your services? You can find me on my website, which is lagosfinancial.com.au. You can also just Google search Lagos Financial or come up. And I've also got my own podcast, which is called Debt to Financial Freedom. So you can search that on all the podcasting platforms as well as uh, YouTube. Yeah, definitely go check that out, guys. All right. This has been financial expert Victor Lagos and Andrew Bean on the Financial Freedom Series. Cheers, everyone. See everyone. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Financial Freedom Series. This show has been produced by the Commercial Property Show Network. (laughs) 